If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You done with your Oreo? Yeah. <laughs> done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, do you really know what happened? The brother did. The brother. That's what I thought too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just a murdery thing. That was like a belch. Yeah. That was think, like a man belch. I think I won. <laughs> For sure. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. I did it. I finally accomplished something worth accomplishing in my life. We're moving on. Oh. <laughs> what? What is this that what, we're doing? What? 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 What is this that we're doing? Yes, we should say it earlier, right? <laughs> Welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy. Yeah. The podcast where we talk about mysteries. And murderies. And all things mysterious. Yeah. And with the thinginess to them. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And where we repeat words. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. Oh, no. we don't do that. Ever. <laughs> Again. Ever. <laughs> Ever. You... But I also realized, we like, in the intro, the last thing it says is, like, this is mystery murdery thingy. So, like, they do, they have heard it. But I think it's, we should still say it, but it's like, you know, but we don't say who we are during that. So we should say who we are too. Who are you? I don't remember. Oh my God. We both just got amnesia. My name's Chloe. (laughs) My name's Mario. And together we're. (laughs) With our powers combined. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Captain Mystery. What? What is it? I don't know what you're doing. The like super twins, right? They like go like this. The super twins? Yeah. They have rings and they're twins. Oh. And they and I don't they know go what like the fuck this, you're talking about. And they go like that. I thought you were doing Captain Planet. I don't know what that is. Because we're ten years apart we're in age. Different, we're in a different <laughs> See, generation. That's here. also gonna that's kinda of pertinent to the episode though, because I'm gonna be talking later about Kurt Cobain and he died like three years before you were born, but I was eight. <laughs> so, uh, I, like, remember him being on MTV and stuff, <laughs> so I have, like, a connection to that one that I don't, like, you know, that you obviously don't really have. What? 
I'm trying to find, I'm trying to Google the oh, thing. Oh, it's not that important. You can cut that out. Okay, anyway. So I've been listening to the 27 Club episode, or sorry, this book called The 27 Club. Yes, tell me what you've learned. So uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking we could like start with maybe a little of just my, my random thoughts about the book. And like, I'm like over halfway through now, I think I'm kind of two thirds of the way through almost. And it's been really interesting. So, you know, he kind of hits on a lot of the same themes that we did last time, right? The Such as? Such as, like, the, the natural excesses that accompany the 27 Club members and, like, the hard, kind of drug-filled, dangerous sort of lives that they lived. Yeah. And, like we talked about last time also he tends to kind of romanticize or glorify it. He also kind of acknowledges that that's a thing that people do. I think it's a little bit self-aware. But there are times where he, he likes to talk about the Dionysian lifestyle. and um, Okay. Which is sort of pertinent to Jim Morrison particularly because he was, like, really interested in, like, mythology and philosophy. Like, apparently oh. he asked his parents when he graduated from high school for a complete set of the works of Nietzsche, of Friedrich Nietzsche. Oh. And that's, like, what he really wanted. What does that say? <laughs> but it's also, like, another theme running through is that the 27 Club members tend to be, like, hyper-intelligent and, like, really sort of um, heady, you know, cerebral kind of people. Like, Janis Joplin was that way. Amy Winehouse was that way. Kurt Cobain was that way. Um, Jimi Hendrix, um, Jim Morrison, like, all of the, like, real main ones. He talks about, like, the six kind of main ones. Yeah. Including Brian Jones, although he was a little bit different. The founding member of the Rolling Stones. Um, but most of them were, like, really, but did not do well in school because they were a sort of, like, troubled youths, a lot of them as well. You just perfectly described Janis Joplin. But it applies equally well to, like, so many of them. Yeah. And a lot of them come from divorce, and their parents divorced in their, like, formative years when they were, like, you know, five to ten or so. And they were, like, really hard divorces, and a lot of them, like, really did not get along with their parents. Like, Jimi yeah. Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse in a bit of a different way. Um, because she and her dad were always, like, really close. But then he also was not in her life for, like, the last half of her childhood. Because he's, like, kind of a bum, apparently. I forget what his first name is. But um, that's also sort of a theme that runs through it. Is, you know, difficult parental relationships and difficult romantic relationships as well. I wonder why. That's yeah, the that's, question, right? <laughs> right, right. Can you make any sort of, like broader um you know sort of statements or assumptions or whatever about these people or this lifestyle conclusion are there any conclusions right i mean we're sort of halfway through right now so i think we're still sort of like assessing maybe at before you know we get into the particulars next episode maybe we can try to like come to some sort of conclusions about it that's the point right but there, I mean, but there are also a lot more, like, of these people than just that, those, like, main six as well. Exactly. And he does talk about, like, some of those people as well, but not, you know, as much. And, and some of them have very different stories. So, 
but that's also the thing about the 27 club is that it was built up around because remember we when we were you were talk, uh, doing your research on Janis Joplin you're going to talk about it right but she and Jim Morrison died in within like 3 weeks of each other wrong what oh J- Jimi Hendrix correct yeah sorry see i, I get the mix cuz i'm like thinking about all the ones <laughs> <laughs> And, but they also, a thing that comes up in the book is that a lot of them did end up in the same place at the same time at, yep. at different points. Yep. You know, those, those like main, weird. main ones, you know, because those like the guy from Canned Heat. What if they and, have some like weird interdimensional connection? Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a leap, I think, but sure, it's a possibility Maybe they were all famous people in the fifth dimension who were just visiting us for a set amount of time, and then they have to go back and continue their lives in the fifth dimension, you know. That's it. I think we've solved it. Yeah. You know, scientists say there are probably, like, nine dimensions, I think, is, like, the one that's most popular right now. What does that mean? I don't know. We could talk about that shit. And a lot of the 27 Club members would be more than happy to have that conversation with you on acid. Oh. A lot of them took acid a lot. I would like to not take acid. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. And then some of them, they took a lot of drugs. They A lot of them were alcoholics, like yes. Amy Winehouse, you know. And Point a lot of them... seven. Yeah. And a lot of them Never were... You know, addicted to heroin. That's, like, another one that comes up a lot. Yeah, shopping. Yeah. And, uh, of course, cocaine comes up a lot. But then... Um, Stretch. Both Amy Winehouse and Janis Joplin were taking prescribed Librium, which is, I think, like a uh, sleep aid. hmm But Janis Joplin in, like, the late 60s and Amy Winehouse in, like, the early 2000s. But they were both, like, taking it for the same reason, um, which is... It's so weird. And then we talked about how Jimi um, Hendrix and Janis Joplin were, like, briefly, like, lovers as well. Oh, yeah. Which I didn't realize. I didn't know that either. They could I mean, you're the one been, who told me that. Yeah, but, uh, and I heard it from that book, so that's my, like, source. But, um, but they, uh... I love that. They were really good friends, apparently. Okay, so let's start with Janis Joplin. Okay, yeah, go ahead. So, um, I adore her i just like uh-huh. her whole uh uh aesthetic mm-hmm. so she was born january 19th 1943 in in uh port arthur texas my neck of the woods yeah Mario, she was born in in texas i know and not only in texas but in south texas oh yeah mario are you from texas funny you might <laughs> Oh my yes, God. yes, I am. I have to admit, a proud Texan. Every time I see the word Texas, I'm like, oh, "Hey, Mario, look!" And he's like, genuinely excited to see the word Texas. That's so cool. It's not, hey, it's buddy, not. buddy Holly, Jordan Spieth. Celebrities are coming out the what? Beyonce, Beyonce, the Bay, the Queen is from Houston. Moving on. <laughs> you're like you're not supposed to be talking like that. <laughs> That is uh, misappropriated in your mouth. The bay? Oh, honey. Oh, I've sweetie. heard people say it. Not the, bee. the bay. Whatever. She's just bay. I, d- I don't actually know, and that's painfully obvious. <laughs> we'll teach you. 
Em- the, embrace the disgrace. We're both millennials, but we're on like the different spectrum of millennial. Because I'm You're I'm like, like barely a millennial. Yeah, I'm like right after Gen X and then you're like right before Gen Z. Yeah. Or the iGen. Some people say that. For like the one after millennials. Do you like that? Or, I think, or do you like Gen Z better? I think human I like Gen Z better and I think human interaction in that way is very interesting and how an entire uh, period of time can affect a certain people at a certain age in such a way that they all identify with many of the same things. Isn't that funny? It is, but I think it's also a consequence of how rapidly progress has been made in the past 100 years or 150 years like basically since the dawning of the industrial revolution in like the late 19th century development like human development progress has just like sped up so much that i feel like before that the concept of having a named generation every 20 25 years wouldn't have made any sense because there just wasn't enough like momentous occasions happening, you know, and out. But then you you had World War One, World War Two, uh, the development of flight and electronics, Nam. you know, Vietnam and d- the development of the Internet. It's like all of these like momentous events happening like every 20, 25 years. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a tangent. I just I don't know. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's a cool thing. And I th- also think that these people who seem to be in this 27 club Mm -hmm. are the best of their generation, the best of their kind, the best of their gender, race, whatever. They're the best. Right. They're going to make, they're going to be top chart kind of people. They're going to go in, go in with a bang. And they saw themselves that way. Like, especially Amy Winehouse, like they do the, the quotes that she has in the book are like so good. It's like, I'm going to be a star. Like she says it a lot more, you know, eloquently than that but essentially when she's like 15 years old she's like fuck this shit fuck school fuck my parents fuck normal society i'm a fucking star Hell and yeah. everyone's gonna know it <laughs> and then she fucking did it yay you know and it's like um that crazy girl too what what's her the the uh see me outside girl or whatever Catch me outside, how about that? That girl. I don't remember. I, cho- I choose to not remember her name. Right. What a fucking bitch. Oh my god, she makes me so angry. But she's like famous now. Yeah, what the fuck? But she seems she's like... She's like a rap label and shit. She seems kind of... Like, she's a little bit more than it seems like Amy Winehouse was, but not that much. No, she's honestly awful. To, Amy Winehouse was like really, really... Like, to her authority figures... She was apparently, like, really bad. Oh, really? <laughs> not, not the same as that girl, but, like, towards that. Well, this bitch, Brigoli. I don't Br- know. Something Brigoli. The she, doc- Dr. Phil. Yeah. She went on Dr. Phil. She told off Dr. Phil, like, so and many young mom. children have. And her mom said, cash me outside, whatever. And I think I'm she, sure people know who this girl is. I think she got kind of famous because she was really young mm-hmm. and she, she was, was like 14 and she was also a white bitch acting like yeah. she black yes and that's why people so. liked it and now they hated it they hated it and they mm-hmm. liked it that's why she's so freaking famous and now she's a rapper anyway moving yeah. on from that bitch back to, back to Janice classic beauty Janice Joplin yeah. who 
considered one of the best female rock stars of her era. Yes. Um, and like a lot of others, she was really into blues mm-hmm. and um, did a lot of psychedelic rock, which was a genre I didn't know existed. <laughs> oh, yes. Until, until now. Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead. Yeah. I'm tapping our Grateful Dead poster over here. Which I'm pretty sure she was... Teddy Bears. Um, she was friends with, um, I think, was his name uh, Pigpen McCarran? He was another 27 Club member who was, like, one of the founding members of the Grateful Dead, Oh, I think. I'm not sure. I think that was his name. He was, like, known as Pigpen because he was, like, dirty all the time. No way. <laughs> yeah. Was he followed by a cloud of dust? Probably. Bless. <laughs> <laughs> so... Janis Joplin was known for her amazing vocals and her high energy performances. And I watched a couple and she, oh my God, I would love, I would have died if I saw her live. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. I just, I, I, speechless. Right. Speechless. Right. Anyway. And she was also at the Monterey Pop Festival just like Jimi Hendrix right. was. 1967. 1967, yeah. yeah. And during that time, she had um, kind of a lot of different band backups and names and stuff like that. Um, and during this time, she was with Big Brother and the Holding Company. And she released two albums with them. But after that, she became a uh, solo artist. And after being a solo artist, she moved into... More bands, uh, Cosmic Blues Band and the Full Tilt Boogie Band. Those are just some other names. And so when I was reading about her career, I found that a lot of her reputation had to do with how she grew up mm-hmm. and like what she was like as a person. And she was definitely um, classic anti-authority, like I'll do what I want when I want kind of person. Um, and... My favorite source, Wikipedia, (laughs) Uh, and I also read the article that they linked it to. um, The Daily Texan ran a profile of her in the the issue dated July 27th, 1962, headlined, She Dares to be Different. Quote, the article began, she goes barefooted when she feels like it, wears Levi's to class because they're more comfortable, and carries her auto heart. Auto harp with her everywhere she goes, so that in case she gets the urge to break into song, it will be handy. Her name is Janis Joplin. While at UT, she performed with a folk trio called the Waller Creek Boys and frequently socialized with the staff of the campus humor magazine, the Texas Ranger. Yeah, apparently she was like a celebrity on campus. Yeah. Like people knew who she was, but apparently they also voted her for like the ugliest man contest or something. What? And she got, there's like conflicting stories. She either thought it was really funny or it like really hurt her because that was also a thing. Like growing up, she was like very anti authority, authority, like you're saying, but she was also like sort of not very sure of herself, which is also a thing with the 27 club members. Like they have like deep inner angst, you know, fundamentally about themselves. And, and about I think that's why they get into drugs in the first mm-hmm. place and why they're so easily susceptible to that kind of thing and addictive right. behavior. Yeah, exactly. But that was definitely the way with Janice, too. Like, she she didn't... She wasn't, like, one of the pretty girls. Well, she 
was bullied in high school. Oh, yeah. And she was bullied in high school because of how different she was and also because she wasn't racist. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Port, Port Arthur, Texas, never probably really been a bastion of liberalism <laughs> <laughs> at any point in time. <laughs> so she left Texas in 1963 and she hitchhiked her way to San Francisco successfully. Good for her. Um, during this time, she was arrested for shoplifting, um, and then the, the next two years, her drug use kind of, um, escalated, and, uh, she's doing gigs all the time. She gained a reputation as a speed freak, uh, because of her heroin use. Um, oh, the meth. Yes. Yeah, her- heroin's a downer. She was, uh, she was doing a lot of meth at the time. Oh. Yeah. I mean, she was doing everything, but... The speed freak thing was was because uh, she did a lot of math. Oh, okay. Yeah. She also used psychoactive drugs and was a heavy drinker. And her favorite drink is Southern Comfort. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, as she, you know, she's getting more successful in these things and she's still dabbling with, um, not even dabbling, she's full into alcoholism and drugs. She, uh, she was persuaded by her friends to go back to Texas after noticing um, her health decline. She was described as emaciated and um, and skeletal. And her parents saw that she was 88 pounds at one point. Um, so uh, that's when she uh, ch- changed her lifestyle. She started to avoid drugs and alcohol. Um, and she enrolled as an anthropology major at Lamar University near Beaumont, Texas. Um, so, like you, so like you said, she was, um, or like all the other 27 club members as well, very, very intelligent, very smart, Mm -hmm. and all of them are extremely goal-oriented, and and I found that the same with Amy Winehouse, in that she, she was clean and sober, and she did go to rehab, um, but it was just something that never stuck with her, um, and she was always relapsing. And because she, in some ways, like a lot of them, was not able to have, like, good functional relationships. Yes. Just in general with people. Yes. She was engaged for a brief time, um, but I I don't remember his name. But he cut off the, he, like, cut off the engagement. Well, it was because she, she, so she was engaged to this, like, chef who everybody liked. I think his name was Alex. And he was just, like, a nice, stable kind of guy. But there was this other guy named Blake who was, like, a bad boy, right? And did a lot of drugs and was, like, the one who basically introduced her to heroin. Although he says she, like, asked for it. But um, she ended up with him instead of Alex. She, like, was cheating on Alex with Blake. Oh. And they had, like, Blake and she had broken up previously, and she, like, went back to him. Mm-hmm. And she said she would never cheat on anyone because, like, that was something her dad did to her mom. And she, like, always resented that. So it's, it's like, kind of a tragic thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's also, like, one of those things that's, like, Janice and Amy are, like, pretty kind of similar in some ways too you know so um let's get into her death so she died october 4th um, 1970 so what happened was she had a recording session that she failed to um show up to so her road manager uh, john cook 
went to where she was staying. She was staying at the Landmark Hotel, uh, the Landmark Motor Hotel. Um, she was in Hollywood at this time. Um, and when he went to go check on her, he she, he found her dead on the floor. Uh, the official uh, cause of death was heroin overdose, possibly compounded with alcohol. And I read this and I thought this was extremely interesting and very sad um, that if this is true, John, her road manager, Cook, believes that she was given much more potent heroin than normal because several of her dealer's other customers also overdosed that same week. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's pretty bad. And like we said uh, before, she died 16 days after Jimi Hendrix. And that's when, I think, the 27 Club took charge. Yeah, but then, uh, and I'm not entirely sure when the term itself was starting to be used, but I know that in the coverage, and, and even Kurt Cobain's mom mentioned it. And I think, like, even Kurt Cobain, like, sort of knew about this idea. And it was like, so, I think his death in 1994 is like when it really gets, I think, cemented that this 27 club thing is that's like sort of i think what when when it really becomes real amy winehouse knew about it she said she was she feared that she would die at 27 and it seems like her cobain almost planned to die at 27 so it's kind of interesting how it's it hits them differently too they're they're like aware of it and it's like om, ominous presence but you know, it it's like yeah. different for each of them as well. You should talk. You should talk about Kurt Cobain, and then we'll get into more of our mysterious Twenty Seven Club stories. Um, well, I was going to do Robert Johnson first. Oh, never mind. Do Robert Johnson, and then I'll I'll do Kurt Cobain for my second one. Oh, okay. I wanted to do a correction first because um, it's really dumb. So last time I said that Jim Morrison was known as the Snake King, not at all correct. He was known as the Lizard King. That was stupid what I said. <laughs> and I think he even had Lizard King, like, tattooed on him as well. So, anyway, just wanted to mention that because I, I remember I said that wrong. So, I'm going to talk, yeah, I'm going to talk about Robert Johnson. And Robert Johnson is one of the earlier 27 Club members. Although, if you look at lists, there's actually ones that go back all the way to the 1860s. So, this is something that people have kind of retrofitted onto some some history as well. But Robert Johnson lived from 1911 till 1938. And if you're not aware, he was one of the eventually most famous and certainly one of the most influential blues singers, spe specifically Delta blues singers, uh, songwriters, and uh, guitarists. And he's known as, like, one of the, like, legendary guitarists. Amazing. He was one of the big influences on Eric Clapton. And I'm not, like, totally enamored of Eric Clapton, but obviously he's known as, like, a great guitarist. But Robert Johnson started out as just kind of, like, an annoying kid, basically, walking around his town, Aww. like, hounding older musicians and being like, hey, let me play your guitar, like, teach me how to play, like, I want to play in front of people. And he would apparently, like, take their guitar and just, like, play out on the street, and people would be like, oh my God, can you get that kid to stop? <laughs> like, what? he is terrible. Like, he's annoying the crap out of all of us. Like, what is he doing? <laughs> so, 
Robert Johnson. He was it, determined. He was very, but he was extremely determined. Like, that's the thing. Like you were saying earlier about the 27 Club members all They're having this. They're all Slytherin. This ambition. Robert Johnson is, if anything, the most ambitious one. Like, from when he was a small child, apparently. Uh-huh. And this is, like, one of the very few things that we know about him, by the way. Like, we know very little about his life, but apparently it's well established that when he was a kid, he just, like, was like, I'm going to be famous. I want to be famous. I want to be a great guitarist. I'm going to be a great blues musician. This is going to happen. Awesome. I love that. I know, right? So he figured out, okay, I'm not going to... He was, like, 13, 14 or something at this time, and he figured out, like, okay, I'm not going to get this done in Mississippi, which is where he grew up. So he's like, okay, I'm going to go to Arkansas. I don't know why. Maybe, Maybe that was the blues mecca of the day. I'm not sure. But he goes to Arkansas for six months, and he comes back a guitar master. I thought you were going to say God. Not quite a God. Not yet. But... He came back as a significantly improved player who now was basically like a professional level player. Awesome. Who had left as a kind of rank amateur. Now, this is where... That's where he made the deal. Well, this is where the idea of the deal of the deal with the devil comes in. Really? Right? Really? Yeah, this is, this is the origin of that. This is the Supernatural partly. episode? But we'll get into that. <laughs> Just keep... Raining in a little Sorry. bit, and we'll. I'm excited. We'll, I, I, ha, I have I have supernatural written on my write up, so don't worry. I'm I'm going to talk about how it's about supernatural. Sammy, Sammy. <laughs> so when he got back to Mississippi after about six months, came back to his hometown. He had been apparently hanging out with this older blues musician who was also really good, who used to hang out in graveyards and practice. Because he knew that it wouldn't, like, disturb anybody. That's funny. But I also feel like that's pretty cool. Yeah. Right? <laughs> kind of badass. And this is also apparently a little bit where the, like, deal with the devil thing comes in. Because this guy was, like, kind of creepy in his graveyards. And he was, like, attached to Robert Johnson. So it became a little bit, like... Because this whole idea of the devil... We'll, we'll get into that later. Anyway. So... He played a lot on street corners still. Of course, he was really good at this point. Played a lot in dive bars. He would play for people's parties, weddings. Like, he, he was not, like, a famous musician in his day. Not at all. He, he was relatively obscure amongst blues musicians at the time, right? But he did make a recording of 29 songs in the late 30s, over the course of, like, three years in, like, San Antonio and Dallas, and these Texas? Were in Texas. <laughs> oh my god, a Texas connection. And these were reissued in the early 60s, which is where we get the influence on people like Eric Clapton. Yeah. And like, um, you know, the, the early Rolling Stones members and stuff like that, where, where they were very much into Robert Johnson as like this cool, obscure-ish, you know, old blues guy who like, oh, this guy's really cool. And then it wasn't until... Some, you know, 20, 30 years after that, and his recordings were reissued in the 90s on CD, where he became super famous. And that's where he's become, like, a legend and known as, like, one of the biggest rock stars, you know. In the 90s? It wasn't until the 90s that he, like, really blew up. That's and so people interesting. like totally rediscovered him. It's not unheard of in music history. Um, you know, Bach, for example, J.S. Bach, 
Um, he was pretty obscure in his own day as a composer. It wasn't until, like, the early 19th century when he was kind of, like, rediscovered and then became, like, super famous. So it's happened. So he also uh, wrote the song Sweet Home Chicago, which is, I would think, probably his most famous song. Baby, don't you want to go? <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even know what you were doing at first. <laughs> they play it. Back to the same old place. Okay, you're good, you're good. Sweet home, Chicago. Yeah. Yes. Am that, I not a good singer? That's it. Am I not a good singer? You're not a good male blues singer. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, Miranda, I'm sorry. <laughs> How could you say that? That is not true. Everybody knows. You're being rude. <laughs> right. Okay. And like I said before, not a lot is known about his life. So we're, we're just really left to wonder about the majority. He was a, an itinerant musician. He was a, a peripatetic bardsman, if you will, of the South. Ooh. Them's his words. <laughs> All right, Willie Shakes. Right. His birthday was two days ago. I call him Billy Shakes because we're better friends than you with him. But we already talked. We talked about that before. It's fine. It's totally fine. And his death, Robert Johnson, we're talking about here, his death is also very mysterious. <laughs> mysterious. Ooh. Is that the point of the podcast? I like, yes, to say that word. Okay, so here's what we have as one of the accounts of how Robert Johnson died. He was playing a country dance, had been playing it for a few weeks as the regular guitarist, and he was murdered by a jealous husband after he was flirting with the jealous husband's wife. And this was done in a pretty ingenious way. So the husband poisoned a bottle of liquor and then gave it to his wife to then give as a present to Johnson, knowing he would take it. And he was a big oh. boozer, right? Like a lot of the 27 Club members, big boozer. And he knew he would drink it. He would be like drinking it on stage, basically. <gasps> That's evil. But another blues musician, Sonny Boy Williamson, said that he knocked that bottle right out of Robert Johnson's hand and said, what are you doing? You do not drink a bottle that you have not opened yourself. He could tell it had been tampered with. And he told him not to drink it. Johnson just got mad and was like, what are you doing? I wanted that. <laughs> now it's all broken on the floor. And Johnson drank from the second bottle that was sent to him, which was poisoned, and died. Oh, my God. Wait, the first one wasn't? The first one was poisoned, but it was hit out of his hand by his friend. But the next one his friend. But the next also. one, he, he did not have his friend there, so. That's fucked up. And people say it may have been strychnine, but apparently that's not plausible, because it would you would know there was strychnine in it. Like, it would have a smell and a taste, even in, like, corn, you know, whiskey, um, you know, moonshine, you would still know. But apparently it was something. So Johnson suffered horribly and died three days later. Whoa. Yeah. And three days? That's a long time. Took him a long time. Agonizing death, apparently, that he went through what did, for those what three days. What did it days. do? What happened? I mean, I don't know specifics, but, you know, apparently it was really bad. I d I'm not going to be able to, like, give you an ER episode breakdown. Damn it. I'm sorry. What <laughs> does strychnine do to the body? I don't know. I didn't really look into that because it wasn't that. 
You, I would have looked into do, it. Do you want me to talk about polonium tea more? Or <laughs> I can, just, shit's I can cool. describe that. <laughs> um, so a we'll mus- do a poison episode. Yeah, exactly. So uh, later on, a musicologist called uh, Robert McCormick claimed that he tracked down the actual murderer and extracted a confession from him, but he didn't name who it was. So doesn't seem too plausible to me, but. Apparently, this guy, McCormick, claims that he, like, actually knows that Johnson was murdered because he got a confession. Maybe. Huh. There's another version of it, basically the same, but that it was the jilted lover who gave him, uh, sorry, Robert Johnson's jilted lover, like, you know, his girlfriend who he was cheating on with another woman who then poisoned him with the whiskey bottle. Now... Finally, we're going to get to the legend of the Crossroads Demon and Robert Johnson selling his soul. So this is, of course, one of the, you know, um, this is inspirations it. for Supernatural. This is the explanation. This is it. This is what happened. That's why. Right. Exactly. So um, this is the end all be all right here. <laughs> this is totally true. It's it's all historical fact, of course. Documented. Documentary science. evidence, of course. It's science. So according to legend, science. When Johnson, according to science, <laughs> according to scientific legends, when Johnson was a young man, he talked about wanting to become a great blues musician, and someone told him to take his guitar and go down to the crossroads near Dockery Plantation at the stroke of midnight. And there he would meet the devil. In some versions of Black Man, who tuned his guitar played a few tunes, and gave Johnson the guitar back. And immediately, the guitar prowess of Satan was transferred to Robert Johnson. What? And this is essentially a retelling of the Faustian myth. And it's completely made up. This is not at all based in reality at all. What? <laughs> it this was, didn't happen? It was, no. It was a story that was made up in the 60s, actually. Like, after Robert Johnson <laughs> became famous, it was a story that was, like, grafted onto him. Partly because of, again, there was, like, creepy associations with people around him. Partly because this is just, like, I think... A justification for him having become so good. Oh, of course, he could never do it himself. There's like some oh, subtle I, hints of racism stigma. in it, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially in the in the tellings where it's a black man who Satan comes looking as. Um, some of this stuff actually gets pretty bad. Like this this whole thing about the crossroads, it's kind of darker than you think. Oh. <laughs> it's not so light, but I'm over here like. Hee-hee. It's so funny. And it's, like, super racist. Like well, not super. Like, Jim but, Crow. And, and there is this, apparently, uh, uh, African uh, re- religious... Uh, Figure? Something. There, there's, like, a story or something. There's something having to do with a crossroads and a certain demon who... Something or other. I can't remember exactly. But there, there's, like, some sort of basis in African historical you know, mythology and religion, so I'm not sure. And there was a movie called Crossroads that was made in 1986 that was, like, specifically, like, depicting this, like, story. That Robert Jensen sold his soul, so pretty funny. And uh, just as kind of a coda, or two codas, I guess. Are you going to talk about Supernatural? That was the only thing I was going to say about Supernatural. Sorry. 
I don't really have anything other than that. It's my assumption that it was, just, like, an inspiration for, for Supernatural. I just want to talk about Supernatural. Just to be clear, I did not do any research on that at all. I'm completely assuming it, but it makes way too much sense not to be true. Right? What? That, that, that it about, was, like, an inspiration. Oh, of course. How it's, could that not be the case? It's, like, literally a, a black dude who's playing guitar. Yeah. That it starts out as. Like, right. Yeah. That's meant to be Robert Johnson, obviously. Or something. Anyway, if Robert Johnson had not died at 27, if he had lived, apparently he would have been playing Carnegie Hall the next year. When he died, there was an invitation to play at what was called the Spirituals to Swing concert in Carnegie Hall the next year on its way to him. (gasps) No! When he died. So he probably would have blown up right after that. Which is so sad. And then he had to wait another, whatever, you know, 30 years to become somewhat famous. That's fucked. And because he died, you know, in um, basically a pauper's death, right? He was uh, given just a a pauper's burial, right? With a, a coffin that was provided by the county, like... You know, his gravesite actually is officially unknown. And there are actually three markers around Greenwood, Mississippi that are, like, dedicated to him. And, like, there are multiple, um, including one that I think was put up not too long ago, multiple, like, monuments to him around, like, Mississippi and Arkansas. And there's actually a crossroads in, I think it's um, Memphis, that's like, this is the crossroads yeah. <laughs> where it happened. Where Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil. But it's like not even anywhere near where that it's in Tennessee. Would be, even if, yeah, it's in Tennessee. Like, no, it would have been in Mississippi or Arkansas. <laughs> like probably Arkansas. Anyway, so that's, uh, that's all I have for Robert Johnson. So really cool guy, you know, great, great musician, but only recorded 29 songs in his life. And he's super famous, so. We are going to take it to a different level here and speed up to the glory days of (laughs) rap culture in the 90s. Right. Um, So this kind of pair... Sorry, okay. This kind of parallels to when we talked about... The deaths of Tupac and Biggie. Because this guy was a friend of theirs. Because this guy was a friend of theirs. He died when he was 27. Uh, He was born Randy Walker, named Randy Walker, but his um, rap name, he was known as Stretch. Um, He was born April 8th, 1968, in Queens, New York. So basically, he was a he was a producer and he was a co-rapper, and um, he collaborated a lot with uh, Tupac Shakur. Um, and he was a member of the live squad and the live squad is, um, it's, uh, him and his brother, um, named majesty. And they are, um, basically producers and co-rappers. And they, um, during that time were collaborated and worked with a lot of, um, different people. So, he's most notable for, uh, the early recordings with Shakur and also, um, Biggie too. Um, unfortunately, their relationship between the two, the um, relationship between the Live Squad and Tupac um, kind of ended after the 1994 Quad Recording Studios attack. 
on Tupac when he um, was let in there and shot up by like how many guys? Like I can't two remember. or three. But he was shot like a bunch of times. He was shot right? a bunch of time and he lived. Yeah, he like totally was. I mean, not fine, obviously, but he survived it, which is yeah. crazy. And that that was kind of the big breaking point that fomented the East Coast West Coast rivalry, right? Yeah, it was kind of like the. Yeah. Waterloo of that or whatever. Yeah, and apparently Stretch was in on it. That's what Ooh. is thought about here. So that's when they had a falling out. Yes. Okay. So um, Stretch was also killed in a drive-by. He was uh, killed November 30th in 1995, and he was the first of uh, the three friends to be, to be killed um, of Tupac and... All by drive-bys. All by drive-bys. Yeah. Um... He was killed. This is why he, um, people think that he has to do with the Quad Studio shooting because he was killed um, exactly one year, almost to the minute um, after the the shooting. Wow. So what happened was that night he uh, dropped off his brother Majesty at his home in Queens Village, and uh, two or three men pulled up in a black car next to his green minivan, and they chased him while shooting, and the minivan crashed at the corner of 112th Avenue, 209th Street, just after 12.30 a.m., and he was found dead with four bullet, wo- four bullet wounds in his back. Wow. So, because um, at first I was like, did he crash the car first? He was, like, killed, and then, like, the car crashed. Oh, wow. So he was, like, shot and, like, dying, and then crashed, yeah. crashed the car because he got shot. That's, yeah. Oh, wow. Because he was found with the bullet wounds in his back right so and no one was ever arrested for this which is the norm with these kind of things right because people don't flip so there's two theories one was that it had to do um with the quad the quad studio shooting so tupac denied being involved even though you know live live squad and tupac kind of had um beef tupac even had a disc disc track it was called against all odds and um it uh, dissed Stretch, and it also dissed two other artists, the Bad Boy Camp and um, Nas, I think that's how you say it, Nas, N-A-S, Nas, Nas, yeah, who, Nas. who Tupac felt Stretch had switched allegiance to. Um, apparently, Tupac later made peace with Nas. Um, that was three days before Tupac's death. Oh, wow. And um, the disses were supposed to be taken out, uh, but he died before they could do that. Wow. Yeah. Um, another theory was that Stretch got in trouble with a drug dealer. Uh, apparently, he robbed um, a big drug dealer of over 10 kilos of cocaine. That's not a good idea. Yeah. And there was pressure on the streets for him to give it back. Like, guy, like don't fuck with this dude. But he never did, so he was hit. A hit was issued. Wow. So those are the two things that I have about Stretch. Mm-hmm. Like the two ways that it could have gone down. Yeah. And yeah. again, um, I mean, obviously everybody during that time and everybody in the rap game during that time was in, in all incredibly driven type of people. Like this was their lives. And mm-hmm. um, he was definitely had that same kind of mindset. And... Yeah, he was a kid, just like everybody else. But he, did, but he never made it as big. I mean, I'd never heard no, of him no, before. No. But you said he was, like, mostly a producer? Yes. Okay. Which, you know, in this whole 27 clip thing, that's always 
kind of a question, like some of the statistical analyses that have been done, like, do you include producers and like recording, yeah. like engineers even, and like managers and like people adjacent to the music industry? And then do you also include like actors as well? Yeah. And like other people. So there were some other deaths just surrounding Tupac and Biggie's, including Stretches and mm-hmm. two other um, artists. Oh yeah. Who were also like killed. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, definitely. Something happened and mm. then kind of blew up. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um So that's stretch? That's stretch. Yeah. Good. Who are you gonna talk Good. about? I'm gonna talk about Kurt Cobain. Okay. So, um, Kurt Cobain uh, lived from 1967 until 1994, and he grew up in a small logging town called Aberdeen, Washington, which he fucking hated. <laughs> like Sounds he, awful. Yeah. Really did not like living in Aberdeen, Washington. He was always, like, very artistic, um, like, he was really into art and music and, like, he and his dad was like not about that at all. His dad like wanted him to be into sports and like wanted him to just be, you know, kind of like more quote unquote manly or whatever. And apparently his dad would go and like flick him on the back of the head when he would walk by. Oh. Like yeah. That's mean. Just like fucking with him. Yeah, he would just be like mean to him. And he was kind of, you know, a naturally kind of happy child, um, but he was kind of left out at home, and he was kind of left out at school as well, because he happened to go to a high school with, like, a lot of, like, jockey rich kids, kind of, who lived on, like, the good side of town. Yeah. Literally, like, up on the hill. And then he lived, like, down in the valley. Like, that's literally how it was there. Where did, he, where did he live again? Washington? Yeah, Aberdeen, Washington. Yeah, this Washington State, the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. 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 So he, his family wasn't rich, and he was definitely a lot more into reading, music. He was really into Buddhism. And, nice. yeah, the other, like, guys and people at his school, like, were not about that. And he was always, he was always like, kind of, you know not all that well-kempt, although he was very, like, naturally attractive. And he was always kind of socially awkward at school a little bit. So he never really had, like, a girlfriend or a lot of, like, close friends or anything. And his parents also divorced pretty early in his life when he was, like, 10 or 11 or something like that. Which, like we said before, is kind of a trend with the 27 Club members. Mm Mm-hmm. But it really hit him, like, really hard. And from that point on, he was kind of, like, shuffled around between different family members. Didn't He didn't always have, like, a solid place to live, apparently, as his parents got remarried. And he really did not get along with his parents or with his either of the step-parents. Um, he just, like, really did not fit in with any of them. And he claims that for a time he was actually, like, living under a bridge. 
just like li- homeless. Literally? Like literally living under a bridge. That part, uh, according to the 27 Club book, is probably apocryphal. He's probably just kind of hyperbolizing, maybe. But it, it, it um, he may have slapped like a night or two under a bridge before he like slept with friends or something, which he did a lot as well. But that whole thing of like sleeping under a bridge is the inspiration for some of the lyrics in the song "Something in the Way," and I'm just, I was just going to quote a little bit from that song. So um, this is from "Something in the Way." Underneath the bridge, the tarp has sprung a leak, and the animals I've trapped have all become my pets. And I'm living off of grass and the drippings from the ceiling, but it's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. Oh. So um, that's it. Gives you a little flavor of the the lyrics and um, of you know kind of his uh, sense of his own you know kind of upbringing. He was never you know really that happy. He also had like this stomach pain that he complained of, like, basically his whole life, and doctors were never able to diagnose it. Some of them thought that it was, like, phantom, or they didn't believe him or something, but we'll kind of get into that a little bit more later. That's very... I don't know. That's very odd. Yeah. There's a presidential... um, would-be presidential assassin who is the same way. I think it was uh, Cholgosh... Who had, he like had a like stomach pain like his whole life and it just like drove him crazy, but that's that's not Kurt Cobain anyway. So after this whole thing of sleeping outside and blah blah blah, he tried to get some money together and he's worked for a time as the janitor at his old high school actually. So that gives wow. you kind of an idea of Kurt where this guy's coming from. Yeah. But eventually he was given a guitar for his birthday by his uncle, who seems like he was one of the best people in his life, who, like, actually cared about him. Mm -hmm. Which does not seem like there were very many of those people in his family before he got famous. Which is, yeah, pretty unfortunate. But um, he did, like I said, get that guitar. He had the choice between a guitar or a bike. He chose the guitar. (laughs) What if he chose the bike, dude? He was always going to choose the guitar. He was, like, really into music. Fate. Right. But um, eventually he started a band, and eventually they called themselves Nirvana, which uh, he got from a, like, uh, PBS special or something about Buddhism. Yeah. Which, like, he was always into Buddhism. Yeah, when you said he was Buddhist, I was like, oh, I get it. (laughs) Yeah, his his ashes partly were actually um, eventually... Um, scattered on, like, a Buddhist monument. Whoa. Like, later on after he died, obviously. So, yeah, he was, he was like, pretty committed to Buddhism, I guess. But Nirvana really started out small, you know, playing just, like, the local club scene, colleges. And when they made their first demo tape, Kurt Cobain actually went and, like, drove with his girlfriend at the time. Not Courtney Love, but his first, like, serious girlfriend, and dropped off the demo tapes to the radio stations, like, himself. Nice. And after he had done all of that... Old school. Right, before they drove back to Seattle, he actually called one of the stations and requested the song. And, like, they played it and while he was driving back, and he was, like, apparently, like, 
so excited. Like, yeah. oh my God, they're playing my song <laughs> on the radio. Like, what is happening right now? <laughs> Just again, to give you a sense of where they're coming from, because they got really big, really quick. And this was in like 1992 or so. And they became one of the biggest uh, bands and Cobain became the biggest star to come from what's called the grunge genre Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to use that word of the early 90s and grunge was basically an outgrowth of punk that grew up uh, around the American Northwest around like Portland, Seattle area you know bands like um, the Melvins that he was friends with and um, what's the other one I'm trying to think of I have no idea. And other grunge bands that also were bands that might also still be bands. Who knows? People still like wearing flannel. I love wearing flannel. I wore flannel yesterday. That's where that comes from. And it comes from... Oh, that's a grunge thing? That's a grunge thing. And that comes from the way loggers dress. I know. I know that. Because there's this thing called lumbersexual. Right. And it's basically a man with a tall, busty man with a beard who a wears well, flannel. A, 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 a large and bushy, but well-maintained beard. Yes. That, that you rub oil in. Yes. Which Henry was talking about on one of the recent episodes of the last podcast to the left. He was like, got, apparently got this nice beard oil that he likes to do in his beard. Mario, I swear to God, if you ever have a beard long enough to where you need beard oil, I will I shave it in your sleep. I can't go that long. No, what? It, once it gets a little, we're getting off. We're getting off topic. I like to we, talk, I like to talk about your facial hair. I know, not good for a um, non-visual medium. Maybe. Oh. <laughs> maybe. Eh, not good radio. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> so to get back to the story. Cobain did not enjoy being famous, uh, as with... Really? Yeah. You know, and sort of reminiscent of, right, Jean Kuhn, of Jim Morrison. Yeah. But definitely not of Robert Johnson <laughs> or some of the others. Yeah. But um, he, it, it just did not wear well on him. He hated the limelight. He hated all the fucking tabloids and all the... People who, at at certain points in it, he really felt like because they were getting so famous and because their fans were now of such a large set, yeah. uh, right, that they weren't those, like, core, you know, hardcore fans that, like, truly understood what they were trying to do artistically. Yeah. Kurt Cobain wanted to be seen as, like, a serious artist. And, and, like, writer. and Was he not taken seriously? Well, yes and no. I mean, it depends on, on whom you asked, right? Or whom you ask now. But, you know, very similar to Jim Morrison, he, he, like, really wanted to be taken seriously. And that was, like, a big thing with him. And I think he felt, because the band had become so popular, there was an assumption that they were pandering to the middle of America somehow. And that because of that, their artistic um, purity was somehow, you you know, was somehow in in doubt. Yeah. And and I I watched a really good interview with him, a Canadian um, journalist uh, interviewing him, and it was less than a year before he died. And he said that he had 
basically come to terms with that, that he didn't think that anymore, that he, he realized that their commitment to their artistic purity did not depend upon how famous they were and that they were always going to be committed to that artistic purity. And I think he was, you know, until the end, you know, they, they didn't get more sort of commercial as they went along, you know, like some other bands have done that really never really happened, you know, and they put out whatever four, three, four albums while he was alive and a couple few more after he died. So, you know, I think, you know, pe people do take him seriously for sure and did at the time, but a lot of people would dismiss all of, you know, rock and roll or, or rock music or, you know, I mean, whatever. Kendrick Lamar won the Pulitzer. So now everything's I know, right? fair game. I know. <laughs> so once um, they did start to make it really big, the unfortunate heroin use that um, Kurt Cobain had been doing since, you know, for a while actually because of that stomach pain that I mentioned earlier. He turned to heroin? Yeah, he started to, to like, he made a conscious decision to self-medicate on heroin for his stomach pain. Why? I don't know. I don't know. But I wonder where that logic... It must have come. It must have come from somewhere. He must have genuinely thought that was a good idea for some reason. I, I, I mean, I could understand if you were um, living in the early to mid nineteenth century. You know that the okay opiates are you know just take uh, taking opium was like kind of okay. You know, you can self-medicate. It was, like, seen as a sort of normal thing yeah. to self-medicate with opium, which heroin is basically opium. So, but, yeah, to do it in in the late 80s or mid-80s, like, I mean, we knew, like, at that time, like, famous, many, many, many famous people, Miles Davis, famous musicians have died from heroin overdoses. Yeah. Like, I don't know where he got the idea to do that, but... Once they got famous, he started, if anything, it got worse because then he was using it to deal with his anxiety as well, oh, you know, stemming shit. from the sudden See, that's success. when it... So, you know, things started um, to spiral and, and they really just continued throughout all those, you know, years, which, which is also kind of a recurrent theme in some of these, uh, some of these stories. And uh, Kurt Cobain also had a pretty rocky relationship with his eventual wife, Hole, uh, the band Hole front woman, Courtney Love. Police were actually called to their house um, more than once, and their child was actually almost taken away from them by social services. Oh, my God. Yeah, so there was a lot of chaos in his personal life, which was, you know, really oddly kind of juxtaposed with this, like, big rising success in of Nirvana of the band. So there was like this kind of disconnect and, and people would definitely see that, you know, in Kurt Cobain where he would be one, you know, crazy alive, you know, in your face person on stage when he was singing and when he was performing and when he would get off stage, he would just become totally lethargic and just totally disconnected. And, you know, I think, um, that's probably a consequence of taking, you know, uppers and then downers, right? Yeah. But you also, kind of get into that cycle. 
Right. But Unconsciously. Also, right, right, right. But it, also that may have just been heightening a sort of manic depressive cycle, you know, or bipolar cycle. And bipolar disorder is something that also runs through the 27 Club, diagnosed and undiagnosed. Yeah. But many of them seem to display, you know, traits of a, of a bipolar person. And, of course, as we were talking about before, I'm old. I remember watching Smells Like Teen Spirit constantly playing on MTV all the time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, is something that you remember if you were you know, born between the late 70s and, you know, late 80s. Um, so Nirvana rockets, you know, into superstardom, right? Kurt Cobain is this huge, huge star, and he just becomes totally disaffected by the recording industry and fame and just, you know, everything. But the one thing that does kind of, like, bring him joy in the last few years of his life, last couple of years of his life, and that he, you know, truly, really cared about was his daughter, um, who, who they named Frances Bean. Um, yeah, who was born, I think, in 1992, if I remember correctly. And um, he was always, you know, really close to his daughter. Um, he was, like, known as, like, a really, like, doting father. Like, you know, uh, really affectionate and loving. And he actually, you know, was trying to get clean right when she was born and he checked into the detox at the same hospital that Courtney Love was going to have the child was going to have Francis okay. in okay and he was only partly of the part of the way through his detox when she was born but Courtney Love like insisted that he be in the room when she was born and he actually like passed out like during the labor oh my god because he was like going through withdrawal so, I mean, oh, again... that's so crazy. I, and, and we keep coming back to this, right? Just the, the, the chaos that it seemed like was inherent in Kurt Cobain's life. Like, from the very beginning. Like, from not having a stable home to, uh, you know, this rocket success that totally upended his life to, you know, his struggles with, you know, addiction. It's It just seems like he was a very sort of tortured soul. Again, in the tradition of that romantic, you know, tortured artist. But we always have to remember, this is this person is a person, first and, I, and foremost. And I think it's really hard to do that because of the disconnection that we have with celebrities. Right. To, like, remember that there's a real person there. Like we were talking about before, you know, we don't know them. Yeah. We don't know who they are, really. We know their work. But we have to acknowledge that the work and the person are two different people. Or exactly. They're two different entities, maybe you can say. And maybe that helps you to, have, again, as with all these things, have a little bit more empathy for that person. So the problems with drugs, unfortunately, did continue to worsen. He, he tried to get clean for his daughter, but it just it, it did not end up happening. Well, at this point, he was on it for so long, right? Yes, and, and it seems like... You know, this was a, a trajectory, uh, yes, that had been set long before. And the sort of presage of his eventual passing was in 1993 when he overdosed um, in Rome after a sort of truncated European tour. He, like, couldn't do it anymore. I think they only got, like, a 
half the way or whatever through the European tour, and he was like, I, I can't do this. And he went to Rome to try to just get his head together, and he ended up ODing. Uh, he was briefly in a coma for 20 hours, uh, but he did survive, and it was reported that this was an accidental overdose on Rehypnol, but it may have been a suicide attempt. We really don't know. You know, we'll never really know. But in March of 1994... Oh, sorry, this was a, another incident in the interim, actually. In March of 1994, um, where Courtney Love called the authorities because Cobain was had taken a lot of meds and was holed up in a closet with, like, a bunch of guns. He was <gasps> oh also pretty into guns. Um, and the police came, they took the guns, they took the meds... But they said he's not suicidal, so they didn't do anything else. I don't know how they would know that. The police. But I, but they didn't do anything else. Oh, my God. And, you know, Courtney Love, other people, his friends, you know, tried to, you know, get him to go to rehab. But, you know, it, it, he, it, he wasn't going to do it. You know, when they tried to make him do it, he, he would just, he would walk away. He would start going and playing guitar. He just, like, would tune it out as Courtney Love or not Courtney Love as Amy Winehouse would say you know a decade later they tried to make me go to rehab but I said no 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 no." no." and apparently that was a real thing that she said to a friend of hers who was like oh we should make a song out of that but Kurt Cobain eventually passed in uh on April or they they found him, rather, and it's a little bit in dispute, but they found him on April 8th, 1994. They estimated he'd been dead for three days. So, oh, my God. When they, oh, my God. When they found him, and he was found by an electrician who was there to do work on the house, and he was um, in a greenhouse, actually, that was, like, above a detached garage behind the main house. Why did he go unnoticed for three days? He was having a really hard time at at that particular time with Courtney and they had kind of had a a bit of a falling out and weren't talking at at that time exactly. And he didn't seek, you know, kind of other people and he was always a kind of a bit of a loner. So it wasn't so unusual that he would have been out of contact for three days, but enough that, you know, I guess, I don't know. They, they didn't think that it was like that big of a deal in and of itself, but he was, like I said, found, um, in the, the greenhouse and he was dead by an apparent, uh, self-inflicted shotgun wound, uh, to the head, uh, through the mouth. So he had apparently put the shotgun into his mouth and, um, Oh, so it was. It was suicide. It it was almost certainly suicide. There, there's almost no chance that it was not suicide. There was a suicide note that was left in an empty flower pot with a pen stuck through it, which is kind of unnerving. And the suicide note was addressed to his fans, his wife, and and his daughter, of course. And the suicide theory is further bolstered by the fact that Cobain had spoken of suicide before, many, many times before. Even when, when he was younger, a child, he had, like, made up a song about it. Like, he, he was always very sort of fascinated by death and um, always kind of would, 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 was sort of a macabre person, right? And, and sort of was uh, 
he also apparently watched um, a suicide video like a bunch of times um, in a year in the years before his death, like almost as if he was rehearsing it somehow. That's freaky. Very freaky. Very, yeah, d- does not sit well, right? Um, but, you know, even though it is pretty clearly suicide, um, there have been certainly other conspiracy theories, um, alternative theories, one might say, that have cropped up over the years involving murder plots, usually surrounding Courtney Love. But the Seattle police, um, although they still do receive weekly, apparently, requests, mostly through Twitter, to reopen the investigation, they say that there's no reason to do so. Um, Ah. But people did force them to release pictures of the actual shotgun that was used, because one of the conspiracy theories had said that it had been melted down to hide evidence. But that's not the case. They'd still have it. They, they, this was in, like, excuse me, 2015 or something. They released photos of it. So let's get into a little bit of the alternative theories. Although, like I said, it was almost certainly suicide. There's a Seattle public access TV host named Richard Lee, who has apparently been pointing out supposed flaws in the police investigation from the very beginning, like so as soon really, as it happened. So people really think it wasn't a suicide? There are definitely people who think it wasn't a suicide. There's a whole, I'm sure, a whole subreddit, <laughs> yeah. whatever, a, a whole community. Yes, and multiple movies and, and YouTube videos and what what have you. But the, the series that Richard Lee does is called Kurt Cobain Was Murdered. And it started, like I said, like right after it happened. He pointed to the dearth of blood, the lack of blood on in the scene. But apparently that can be explained, again, because Cobain shot himself apparently through his mouth into the head. And in those cases, one expects to find less blood than if one simply shoots the shotgun like directly to the head uh, itself. Uh. I know it's it's bad, but it's it's forensics. You know, it's it's like yeah. necessary. Although gruesome, and I'm certainly very uncomfortable with it. And again, as always, we don't mean in any way to glorify these deaths or oh, to, God, no. to make this sound like it's cool or something. Especially with this yeah. This these deaths are already incredibly glorified. Exactly. Like that's not the point of this. <laughs> like at all. Um and there was a man named Tom Grant who was actually hired by Courtney Love. Um he was a private investigator to like look into this and he's actually the main proponent now of the murder hypothesis which centers around Courtney Love. So I know it's kind of weird she hired him originally and he kind of like ended up implicating her, but that's how it is. Whatever. He claims that his kind of main claim is that Kurt Cobain had, like, way too much heroin in his system to be able to pull the trigger. That he would have just been completely passed out. Apparently, this is not maybe completely solid, though. Is that something you can tell? Well, you know, certainly you, you, you can measure the concentration of a substance within different bodily fluids, right? Well, yeah, but will you know, would you know if this person would be... Right. That's the thing. Like, first of all, no, you wouldn't because people have different tolerances. Exactly. And 
like we said before, Kurt Cobain had been an almost daily heroin user for years and years. So that, yes, very much so. But even the amounts that he was basing that on may not be accurate because they were based on um, only based on news reports, not the toxicology report, okay. which was never released uh, for privacy reasons. Of course. So we, we actually have no idea how much heroin was really in his system. We only know what was reported by the press. That may be That may or may not be true. May yeah. or may not be true. Might have been misinterpreted. Who knows, right? And uh, Tom Grant says, as to the suicide note, that yes, the main portion of it uh, was written by Cobain, but that that portion could be interpreted as a letter stating that he's simply leaving Courtney Love and the music business and all of this behind, but only in the sense that he's leaving it behind. Not to die, but just leaving, physically leaving. Okay. That's what he says. It could have been taken differently. Right. And then that the part at the bottom, which is in a different script, is the only part that explicitly talks about suicide. And he purports that that was added by another person and then and that this letter was simply something that Cobain had written previously and not sent yet. So was it sent? I mean, was it done by another person? Because you said it was in a different script? Handwriting experts tend to think, and there have been And isn't several, that not really a thing? Yes. As with forensics, it is an inexact science, if you can even use the word science. But amongst the you know, purported experts of handwriting who have looked at this, they've said that it's either um, inconclusive or that Cobain did write the whole thing, but at different times and under different states of mind. I mean, I don't think that's yeah, in that's dispute. Yeah, that's something you have to take into consideration, I guess. Right. Um, so th- it's probably something that he simply wrote in two stages, the last part of which, you know, may have been written directly before he died. So maybe that's why it's different and in a different script. I mean, I think that's pretty plausible. I think so too. As an, as an alternative explanation to Mr. Grant's explanation. You can tell I don't really put much credence into what, into this guy's theories. So maybe that's coming through here. So basically he thinks um, that, you know, Courtney Love may have been behind it. But... His research and his conclusions are not really seen as credible by police or Kurt Cobain's friends. Like, the former band members of Nirvana do not believe in this guy at all. So I I, I don't put much stock in him. But conspiracy theories will abound, you know, whenever there's mystery. So it's something you see a lot of, (laughs) right? So, yeah, those are our uh, 20... Oh, no, wait. You have one more, right? No. No, you did your two. Okay. Janice and Stretch. Janice and Stretch. And uh, Robert and uh, Kurt. So those are our four for this time. We are going to do another one. Yes. Yes. And uh, I think we should each do two again, but I, I think we should do, or maybe I'll just do a little bit of a roundup of maybe a two or three others, just very briefly. Just like, this was this guy. He's also one for this reason, blah, blah, blah. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. As always, we're like planning on the fly here. We have, have some, some weird, weird shit, shit in, in the news. news. Weird shit in the news. Weird shit in the news. Weird, weird shit, shit in, in the news. news. 
Okay, I'm gonna go first. You because go first. I don't have the article with me, but I remember. I kind of remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. So basically. Do you remember? Amazon. <laughs> I remember. I remember. <laughs> Remember, remember when marriage was between a man and a woman? Oh, I remember. Oh, yeah. Wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> Anywho, apparently um, Amazon has, like, allows dogs at their, um, their like, facility. Oh. And, like, bringing your dog to, to, to with you to work is, like, a thing. And they And there's, like... Apparently, there's, like, thousands of them. So this, like, really made you want to work for Amazon, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> then you could bring your little puggle. Yeah, there, okay, there are <laughs> 6,000 uh, dogs, and they are, quote, working at Amazon. And they and in the article, they talked about how um, studies of uh, workplace, um, not creativity, but... Uh, efficiency has increased mm. when there's you got your special friends around and everybody is just happier in general right. because there's dogs everywhere and that's always a good sign of and they have like um i guess on like this i don't know what floor of the enormous building i think i want to say 17th or 19th but i'm not sure um they have like a place that's just for dogs and they have like fake fire hydrants and stuff wow that's pretty funny isn't that precious yeah that's pretty good that's that's precious things in the news <laughs> that's pretty funny dogs a little doggy dogs are important little puppy so mine is from a uh, BBC News article, and this is good slash weird shit. And it's an article, Weird, by Soraya Auer. And the uh, title of the article is Meet the Man Who's Survived a Snake, Bear, and Shark Attack. I feel like I've heard of this person. There, there have been a few stories about him recently. Is he from Florida? No. He is not Florida. <laughs> Florida man. man. He is not Florida man. Uh, this is Colorado man, Dylan nice. McWilliams, 20, of Colorado. He is an outdoor enthusiast who also teaches wilderness survival. And obviously, he's a wilderness survivalist. I mean. <laughs> and according to Dylan, he's, quote, kind of lucky in unlucky situations, unquote. And you'll see what I mean here. So first, he was bit by a rattlesnake while walking on a trail in Utah. He made the judgment call, because I guess he's a fucking expert, not to seek medical attention, because in his opinion, it was a dry bite, which is a thing, I guess. What? I don't know. So apparently he but did. He lived. He he figured I'm fine. Didn't actually get poisoned. And was and he fine? He was fine. He just got sick for a couple of days. And he was totally fine. What? Yep. So one down. I don't know about that. Yeah. So second uh, encounter um, when animals attack encounter. Uh, he was sleeping in his tent. It was about four in the morning. Red flag. Right. Never. On a dark and stormy night. While camping in Colorado, 
and a black bear bit his head through the tent. Oh, fuck that. Yeah. Fuck that. And uh, Dylan fought back like the wilderness survivalist that he is and poked the bear in the eye. That's not a... I'm not using that as a cliche. He said he literally poked the bear in the eye and it uh, clambered off. Did just ignored his two friends who were also climbing, camping there with him. So, what? Yep. That sounds like a cartoon. I know. And uh, he did get nine medical staples, and the bear, which was found later on, was put down. For safety reasons. It was a black bear. So, thirdly... Aren't the black bears always put down, Mario? Right. <laughs> was it going to be a black bear? Was it going to be a black bear? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Uh, thirdly, he was bitten by a six-foot, eight-inch-long tiger shark. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> who he's, which he saw rather swimming under his uh, surfboard when he was surfing in Hawaii. Realized that he'd been bitten, and he hit the shark in the nose, just like you're supposed to, right? Yeah, That's I guess. Thing, right? right? Is that true? Not giving advice. Please do not try any of this at home. And he swam to shore, and he was a bit worried about the trail of blood he was leaving behind him, but he was fine. And he needed uh, seven stitches on his leg, and they had a picture of it, which I did not appreciate, because, <laughs> as you know, I am very squeamish. <laughs> no warnings? Right, no warnings. And uh, he said, you know, I'm, I'm still very cool with animals, I love them, and he explicitly did not blame the animals. So, still... Seems like a wholesome dude. Still hanging out outdoors. Even though you know, he's got some pieces taken out of him? Chicks dig scars. You know? He, uh... Sure. Yeah. I think he might have said he wants to be a veterinarian. I, I can't remember. But, you know, good for you, Dylan. Uh, keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. You know, may, maybe next time you could get, uh, you know, um, gored by a bull and survive that. You know, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, I'm not saying that that's going to happen or that I wish for it to happen, but if it did, the, you know, could write some interesting stories about it. Oh, my God. <laughs> man survives fourth animal. Florida man. He survived ten animal. Colorado animal. man. I don't know if he could get that far. Okay, so I kind of forgot to do them before, so I'm going to do my sources now. Oh, mine were Wikipedia. Yeah, good job. <laughs> um, so for the Robert Johnson portion, mine was also Wikipedia, the Robert Johnson page. Hey. Um, also a, a little article by Joel Rose uh, on NPR and one by Joe Clock on Mother Jones and then also his page on the biography website. And then let me get mine ones up here for Kurt. Kurt. Mr. Mr. Kurt. Um, I have an uncle named Kurt. Cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I got, uh, stuff for the Kurt Cobain section from the biography website page and also the YouTube video, his, like, biography that aired on TV. Also from the 27 Club book. Um, which doesn't really mention Robert Johnson, uh, much at all. Uh, also there were some Kurt Cobain death scene photos on CBS News and Ooh, yeah, how was that? Um, they weren't too bad. They didn't really show the body. There was also a YouTube video called "One of Kurt Cobain's Final Interviews," including extremely rare footage, which was posted by Watch Mojo. 
that's the one I, I mentioned earlier. Uh, also, the Wikipedia page, Suicide of Kurt Cobain, another and another YouTube video uh, called Courtney Love Interview About Kurt Cobain's Suicide, Drugs, Hole, and Francis, 1995 which was a really kind of hard-hitting interview with Barbara Walters, mm. um, in which Courtney Love, like, breaks down multiple times. Oh, man. And Barbara Walters is like, do you think it was your fault? People say that. <laughs> I can't do Barbara Walters. She's a robot. Um, she's like a robot, yeah. You did a lot more research than I did. Eh. And yours was much more fleshed out. Eh. Eh. Maybe. Hey, thanks for listening, you guys. Yeah. So fucking much. This one went on for a while, but it was a good discussion. It was a little bit longer. What are we at? We're at like an hour and a half. Oh, yeah. We are at almost an hour and a half. Yeah, this is our longest episode yet. Cool beans. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with us. I know, right? If you've made it to this point, then you must actually like us. So we'll tell you about our Patreon page. Yeah, that means you should totally donate. Maybe like a dollar a month. It's it's a it's a contribution to the cause. That's what I like to call it. It is in the furtherance of the uncovering of further mysteries. Yeah, support your local artists. So if you go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Correct. Dot com slash mystery murdery thingy, name of the podcast, uh, patreon.com slash mystery murdery thingy, you can become a patron and help us to... Make money off of doing half-ass internet research and such. And get us some some mics and... So, first of all, we would love headphones. to be... Right, but um, even before that, we would love to be able to pay for the cost of putting the pod up. So that's that's really the main thing we're looking for right now. And if you can give a dollar, we're overjoyed. God bless. Thank you so fucking much for that dollar. And we will give you a shout-out. And be so happy. And if you can give us $5, then you are going to get our extra segment, which is pretty cool, which we're about to record. And that's going to be even more weird shit in the news. More weird shit in the news. We're calling more it the weird, weird, weird news the extra. News. Do, 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 do. Weird extra, news extra. Extra, extra, extra. Read all about it. We'll tell you about some more weird shit. So we've got some good stuff for that this week. We're going to keep doing that. Keep and selling papes, boss. You can get access to all of them that we do eventually. Extra access, access, extra access. Okay, we got enough beep, of that. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's the that's the main thing. We'd, we'd love to be able to get better equipment and, and go on trips that can be mysterious. And all that's hopefully in our future. But for right now, please give us a dollar. <laughs> we would so love it. Or don't. Or don't, because it's totally free. It's your... And it always will be. But the extra segment... And and we'll also try to post some cool stuff on that Patreon page. So I'm going to make a post with some pictures of the podcasting basement and... uh, The basement? uh, The den. The the podcasting lair. The den. As I like to call it. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll try to keep posting more stuff. A little blurb about, you know, the episode and... Whatever, you know, make it kind of fun. You know, keep it keep it light. Keep it keep it lo fi. Keep it light, keep it bright, keep it gay. What's that from? The producers. Oh. Yeah. I've only seen the producers once and it was a long time ago. A long time ago in a galaxy. I love Nathan Lane. 
Me too. Everybody loves Nathan Lane. But I also love uh, Zero Mostel, who was the like. I think he was the one who who was like the in the original version. You know, that wasn't a musical. That had the musical within it, but wasn't itself a musical. Was he also in Fiddler on the Roof? Uh, yeah, yeah. He he was. Um, I knew it. He he was the fiddler on the roof that did the original Broadway cast. I'm That's sure. That's what it is. Although That's what it is. The the original West End version was uh, Topol, and I think he's the one that's in the movie Topol. I think he's the one that's in like the movie version, but I can't really remember. Anyway, we've probably rambled on for long enough. Anything? Hey, else? you guys should rate and subscribe us. That would be so amazing. On all of the platforms. That's worth at least a dollar. For you real. Know, we're up on Spotify. We're on iTunes. iHeartRadio. SoundCloud. Um, so, well, SoundCloud, not anymore. So we're only going to have like a few episodes because otherwise we'd have to pay like two fees to keep them all up on SoundCloud, too. So we're going to be on but, iTunes and Spotify yeah. and iHeart and Google Play. Yeah. And our show page is on uh, Pippa. And also follow us on Instagram. Yes, more more Instagrammy stuff to come. Yeah, <laughs> for show. I'm gonna post a picture of Janis Joplin's Porsche. Yes, that was a cool. I liked the picture. It's yeah. a good picture. Okay, well maybe I should find some pictures and send them to you. All right. Okay. Okay. Bye. Uh, good job, bye you. No. <laughs> <laughs>